Amen. Thank you, Jeff. All right, so good to see you all this morning and to be together and to sing the praises of our Lord together. As many of you know, I just finished up my first semester at Dallas Theological Seminary, and in fact, the next semester starts tomorrow morning for me at 7.45, Lord willing, hopefully the snowpocalypse doesn't cancel any, everything, but we'll see what happens. But I'm so thankful to have the opportunity to put into practice the things that I'm learning about in class. So what I want to share with us this morning is actually something that I worked on as part of a world missions class at DTS. So it's just a blessing to me to be able to immediately put into practice and to share with you all some of the things that I've been thinking about and learning while going through school as well. The first time I ever preached was a little over three years ago, which is hard to believe, really, to me anyways. And one of the illustrations I used as part of that sermon was I talked about just strange Christmas gifts that I had been given over the years, probably because it was around the holiday time then as well. And so I talked about how one year I got a toaster for Christmas, like, and I was like 12 years old at this point, you know, <laughs> I got a toaster for Christmas. One year I got this giant elephant figurine. I don't know what was happening there, but elephants are my favorite animal, so I guess that it's the thought that counts. Um, one year I got a big tub of ranch dressing for Christmas, and after I shared this as part of my sermon a few weeks later, Paul Rasmussen and some other people from the church brought me as a gift three grocery bags full of ranch dressing. I mean, it was just an ins more ranch than I could ever use. And there was like every brand. I mean, there was like the Hidden Valley, the Kraft, the Newman's Own, the I don't know, the Sweet Baby Rays. Do they make ranch? I don't know. If they do, it was in there, you know. It was like every brand imaginable. I mean, I had so much ranch dressing. And the reason I bring that up is because that gift from Paul and from some of you in the church was such just such a gift of joy and encouragement to me because I hadn't been here for that long still at that point. I mean, it was still a few months into my time living in Texas and at Faith Bible Church. Like I said, that was the first time I had ever preached, which I was terrified of doing and thought I never wanted to do in the first place and certainly didn't ever want to do again, and yet here I am. But that gift was just such an encouragement, such a joy to me, and it filled my heart with joy and with ranch. Um, but this morning, I want us to look together at Psalm 67. So go ahead if you have a copy of your scriptures and turn to Psalm 67. It will also be up on the screen. But I want us to see this morning that we have a reason for joy. We have a reason to rejoice because of the gifts and the blessings that we have from the Lord. Let me read through this psalm for us, and then we'll dive in after that. Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us, and make his face to shine upon us. Selah. That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. 
Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the people with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Selah. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its, un, its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this psalm, Psalm 67, is written in a chiastic structure. It's a chiasm. If you're unfamiliar with what that word means, it's a common structure for ancient Hebrew poetry. And what it means is that the beginning and the end sort of mirror or reflect or are parallel to each other in some way, kind of inside of that, the middle parts are together, and then there's a center part. So you can kind of think of it maybe as a sandwich, if you will. This is what seminarians taught me. Just kidding. Um, So on either side, you have your bread, right? So that's like either side of the psalm. So for us, we have verses 1 and 2 and 6 and 7 that are similar. Then on the inside of that, you have like your condiments, your mayonnaise, your mustard, your ranch, if you're like me. You have that in there, and that's verses 3 and 5 for us. Actually, you'll notice or... Um, If you notice, verses 3 and 5 are exactly the same in this psalm. And then there's the center, which is everything else, the meat and cheese. And for us here, that's verse 4, which usually the author of the poem is trying to highlight in some way um, or emphasize in some way. So this morning, as we look through this psalm, we're going to look at it in that structure. So we're going to look at verses 1 and 2 and 6 and 7 together, then we'll look at verses 3 and 5, and then we'll finish by looking at the center verse, verse 4. So verse 1 of Psalm 67 starts out, may God be gracious to us and bless us, make his face to shine upon us. Do the words of this psalm sound familiar to you? They certainly would have to the ancient Hebrew reading this psalm, because these words are a quote from Numbers chapter 6. And in Numbers 6, we have what we refer to as the Aaronic blessing, meaning Aaron, Moses's brother, the blessing that he gives to the people of Israel. But I actually think it's maybe a little bit of a misnomer that we call it the Aaronic blessing, because if you look at Numbers chapter 6, the blessing actually comes from God. It's interesting, he tells Moses to tell Aaron to tell this blessing to the people. And I think that's significant, right, that the origin of this psalm is not from man. It's not from Aaron saying, Lord, please, we want you to bless us. We want you to be gracious to us. We want you to give us peace and let your face shine on us. This is actually comes from the Lord. This is his desire that his people Israel pray this to him, that they be blessed in this way, that they experience these blessings. So the psalmist here brings up three things. There's a little bit more in uh, the Aaronic blessing, but he brings up three parts of it. May God be gracious to us. May he bless us. And then third, may he make his face to shine upon us. I don't know about you, but that's not something I've said recently. I haven't asked someone to make their face shine on me. I imagine I would get some strange looks if I 
ask someone for that. Um, and it maybe is a little bit confusing or like, what in the world does this mean when you come to that saying? But I actually think it's pretty straightforward and it's something that uh, we can understand pretty clearly. Um, have you ever seen the face of a loved one, a spouse, a child, a parent, a close friend whose face just lights up or shines when they see you or when you walk into the room. We've all experienced that from a loved one. And I think that's the idea here, that God would make his face shine on his people, that he would look at them with joy and with love. A couple months ago, I went to my friend Matt's wedding in South Dakota. And one of my favorite things to do at weddings is I just love to look at the faces of the bride and the groom when they first see each other, especially if it's a more, I guess, traditional type wedding where they haven't seen each other that day at all. Um, there's just something so special about when the groom first sees the bride walking down the aisle or vice versa. I mean, you can feel the joy overflowing from them, right? Many times they'll have tears running down their eyes. It's just such a beautiful thing. Well, in Isaiah 62.5, one of my favorite verses, um, Isaiah says this, as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. As the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. This is how the Lord looks at his people with joy and with love as the groom looks at the bride. And I think this is important for us to remember because it can be tempting when we're going through difficult times and trials to think that God is up there just waiting to punish us at any chance he can or waiting to um, just unleash his wrath on us, his children, just at any moment. But that's not the case, thankfully, in Christ, for those who have been saved by him. He looks on us with joy and with love. I mean, think of verses like John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, or 1 John 3.1, which says how great the love that the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. I mean, what a blessing this is, what a gift this is, that God would be gracious to us, that he would bless us, that he would make his face shine upon us, that he would give us his very self through Christ at the cross. Notice here in verse 2, Psalm 67, what the result of the blessing is. Verse 2 says, That your way may be known on the earth, your saving power among all the nations. The psalmist is asking the Lord that he would do these things, that he would bless them so that the nations may also share in that blessing, may also know him and fear him. And we see this again at the end of the psalm, verses 6 and 7, the other side of the chiasm. The earth has yielded its increase. God our God shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. So that's the 
the first observation maybe for us this morning. I have three kind of key observations. And the first one is that God blesses his people to be a blessing. God blesses his people to be a blessing. There is a purpose to it. Um, He gives us his joy and his love so that we can then share that joy and love with others. In Ephesians 1.3, Paul talks about how we have been blessed by the Lord, and he writes this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. God, through Christ, has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, everything that we need. Again, he's given us, Christ has given us himself. We have all that we need. So as we go through life, there's certainly all kinds of times where we don't feel blessed, where we are struggling to understand, Lord, why did this happen? Why am I sick? Why did this loved one pass away? But we can hold fast to this truth that in Christ we have been blessed by the Lord. He's been gracious to us. He's blessed us. He's made his face to shine upon us. And as we think back to that or we hold fast to that, we can keep in mind that God blesses his people so that they would be a blessing. And we see this idea of being blessed to be a blessing as a consistent theme throughout all of Scripture. We read this morning from Genesis 28, and it mentions the blessing that Abraham received. This comes from Genesis 12. Let me read to you just the first three verses of Genesis when God blesses Abraham. Here, Abram. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. And so shall you be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Abraham here is chosen and blessed to be a blessing. So that even all the ends of the earth, all the families of the earth would be blessed. We see this idea, too, in the New Testament. Think of a verse or a chapter like Ephesians 2. So we read Ephesians 1 or a verse in Ephesians 1 where Paul talks about how we are blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Well, chapter 2 of Ephesians 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, so no one should boast. And then what does verse 10 say? For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand beforehand that we should walk in them. We are saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves, but we are also blessed to be a blessing, that we would walk in the good works that God has prepared beforehand, that we would share the joy and the love of Christ and the Lord that he has given to us, that we would share that with others. So first observation, God blesses his people to be a blessing. Secondly, the purpose of that blessing is praise. Purpose of the blessing is praise. Verses 3 and 5 say, 
Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. And you'll notice again, verse 3 and 5 are exactly the same in whatever translation you're using and also in the original. Let all the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. John Piper in his book, Let the Nations Be Glad, which is his book on missions and the mission of God as seen in Scripture, says this, and listen to how he um, distinguishes and also puts together the idea of both missions and praise or worship. He writes, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. So the ultimate purpose or the ultimate goal isn't missions, it's worship. Worship is what will last for eternity. And the reason we even have missions is because worship doesn't exist everywhere, right? And so we are here to worship and praise God. We can see this as the Westminster Catechism reminds us in the first question, what is the chief end of man? The answer there, the chief end of man is to glorify God. That is the purpose. And here, worship or glorifying God, this of course doesn't mean to just singing songs or hymns. This is a worship that is a living sacrifice where all that we do, all that we think, all that we are is for the glory of God. So this is the idea of worship, that we are blessed to worship, to be a blessing, to glorify the Lord. And this kind of worship that's a living sacrifice is a daily moment-by-moment thing, right? It would almost be easier if it was just, or not almost, but it would be easier if it was just a once-a-week kind of thing where we come on Sundays. And it would be easier if we could just say, oh, that's the goal. I'll just write that as like my personal mission statement or something. Like my goal is to glorify God. But where the rubber really hits the road, as they say, is in the daily moment by moment living. Annie Dillard says, how we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our lives meaning it's we can plan all we want or we can have this idea for this is the person I want to be, this is the family that I want us to be, this is the company that I want to run or all of these things, but how we spend our days is how we spend our lives because our lives are obviously made up of our days. It's the moment by moment, the daily um, decision to worship the Lord, to trust in him and not in ourselves, to um, do all things for his glory and his purposes. So God blesses his people to be a blessing. The purpose of this blessing is praise. Thirdly, the result of this blessing is 
joy. We come to verse 4, the heart of the psalm, the center of the psalm. It says, let the nations be glad, where Piper takes that quote uh, for his, the title of his book. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. One more quote from that Piper book. He says, the goal of missions is the gladness of the peoples and the greatness of God. Goal of missions, the gladness of the peoples and the greatness of God. He has, he is a great God who has been gracious, who has blessed, who has caused his face to shine on us as a bride and groom, as their faces shine on one another. And the goal of missions is that we would share that, that others would experience that too, that we would live our lives to worship this truth that God has saved us. The Westminster Catechism, again, you may have noticed I left off the second part of the answer because it goes on. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Let the nations be glad. These two things go hand in hand, worshiping God and enjoying him forever. In John chapter 15, verse 11, Jesus says, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you. His desire is that we would have the joy that he has and that your joy may be full. Through Christ, we have experienced the joy of the Lord. And this is especially important, I think, to remember and to reflect on, maybe, when we're finishing up a year like 2020 was, and when we're starting off a year like 2021 might be, is just want to invite us to fix our eyes on these things. I mean, currently or through the last few months, you may be experiencing anxiety, frustration, anger, sorrow, all kinds of things. But I want to invite us to fix our eyes on this truth, fix our eyes on the face of the Lord that is shining on us with joy, with salvation. We have a reason to be glad, no matter what our circumstances are. The joy of the Lord is our strength, and the joy of the Lord is also our motivation. It must be our motivation for both missions and praise and worship and life. Our motivation comes from the joy that we have been given. It's not an obligation that we, um, or an obligation isn't the reason that we go out and share the love that we have received in Christ. It's an overflow from the joy that we've been given, that we've been blessed with. It's not like God needs people to witness for him or to worship him. He doesn't need us for anything. He's God. He created the world by just speaking it out. He doesn't need us, but he invites us to be a part of the work that he's already doing, that he's been doing throughout the history of humanity. When I was six or seven years old, something like that, my family moved from Dallas, so I was born here and we lived in Mesquite, and my family moved from Dallas to Idaho, so a thousand miles away. And my dad 
asked me to figure out the route that we should take from Dallas to Idaho. So I got one of those big blue Atlas things that everybody used to have in their car before cell phones, you know, and I like worked out all the mileage and what was the fastest way to go on this route up to Idaho. And then I sat next to my dad in the moving van and was telling him, you know, where to turn, like his GPS, you know, up ahead in a quarter mile, you're going to turn on to I, whatever. Um, at least that's how I remember it. But I was six years old. My dad didn't need me to do that. I mean, I'm sure he didn't just take my word for it. Oh, this is the road that my six-year-old is telling me to go on, right? He didn't need me to tell him where to turn or to find the best route. I'm sure we just took the interstate up there the whole way. Um, but he allowed me to be a part of the work that he was doing in moving our family from Texas to Idaho. And I still have that as a memory. I mean, I don't have a lot of memories from when I was that young, right? But that's something that I still remember and treasure is being able to do this with my dad. And maybe that's a small picture of what it's like with the Lord. Of course, he doesn't need us to accomplish the work that he's doing. But as a loving father, he wants to welcome us into that work. He wants to share what he's doing with us. So let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. This word translated equity or uprightness, it has the literal idea of smoothness or straightness. God is a perfect judge. There's no corruption. There's no imperfection in his judgments at all. They're perfectly smooth. They're perfectly straight. They're perfectly right, unlike the justice and judgments that come from man. His judgments are unbiased. They're uncorrupted. He doesn't take bribes, and he never makes mistakes, right? We can trust in the perfect justice and judgment of the Lord. The second part there, and may he guide the nations upon the earth. I love this. This word guide is what's used all the time for how the Lord has led and guided Israel throughout their journey. So in Exodus, when it talks about how God has guided the people out of slavery and through the Red Sea, it's this word. When it talks about how in the wilderness God led and guided the people by a cloud by day and a fire by night, it's this word. I think the psalmist is asking here, Lord, may you guide and judge the nations as you have me, as you have Israel. May you guide all the nations. May they see that you are guiding them. May they see this guidance, this, um, guidance the way that we are. It's a global scope that he's praying for, that the nations would be blessed. And we can see that you and I actually are an answer to this prayer. Because as far as I know, all of us are Gentiles, I think. And so we are an answer. We are the ends of the earth. I mean, the author of this psalm could never even imagine us in the future on the totally other side of the planet. But we're an answer to this prayer. We can be glad. We can praise the Lord. And we do. 
because he has been gracious to us, he has blessed us, he has made his face shine on us. We have a reason to rejoice. We are an answer to this prayer. And we see the scope of this prayer is global. God's plan has always been to call a people for himself from every tribe, every tongue, every nation. And he does that through blessing Abraham, and he will continue to work out that mission that he has. Um, and we see in the New Testament, too, that he's, we're invited to be a part of this, like Matthew 28, the Great Commission, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Acts 1.8, you are my witnesses um, in Jerusalem, Judea, Sumeria, to the ends of the earth. So this mission that God has always had, that's always been his plan to call to himself a nation from every tribe, every tongue, every family of the earth, as Genesis 12 says. This mission will be accomplished. The nations have a reason to be glad. Turn, if you'd like, to Revelation chapter 7. We'll see that this mission is accomplished. Revelation 7, 9, and following says this. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could count, from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands. And they cry out with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. They have experienced the saving power, as Psalm 67 says, of the Lord. Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped him, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Skip down to verse 15 after John gets some more information on who this crowd is. Verse 15 says, For this reason they are before the throne of the God and they before the throne of God and they serve him day and night. They worship him, they praise him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tabernacle over them. What does this mean? They will hunger no longer, nor thirst any more, nor will the sun beat down on them, nor any heat. For the lamb in the center of the throne will be their shepherd. What a beautiful image. The lamb is the shepherd. The lamb who is judging perfectly with equity, with uprightness, who is on the throne. He will guide them. That's what the rest of the verse says. And will guide them to springs of the water of life. And God will wipe every tear from their eyes. We can see throughout Scripture from Genesis 12 to Psalm 67 to the end here in Revelation 7 that God's plan is for the nations and that that plan will be accomplished. We are blessed to be a blessing with the purpose of praise and the result of joy. The chief end of man is to glorify God and to 
enjoy him forever. And here in Revelation 7, we see that that is accomplished. They're before the throne, worshiping, serving him forever with gladness because he is their shepherd. He has guided them. I want just uh, in conclusion here to show a short video of maybe just to give us, help us get an idea of what this will look like when we are there in heaven with the countless multitudes from every tribe, tongue, and nation worshiping together. So um, let's watch this together, and then I will come up and pray for us, and we'll have communion and table.
All right, let me uh, pray for us. Father, just thank you so much that we have a reason to be glad, that we can rejoice in the goodness of God. Lord, you are good to us. Father, just thank you for the blessings that you have poured out on us in Christ, that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in him. Lord, may we hold fast to these things. May we enjoy these things, and may we worship you for them. Lord, just help us to go from here and to go out and just take these things with us um, just day to day, moment by moment. Lord, remind us of why we are here, to worship you and enjoy you forever. Father, thank you so much that you have invited us to yourself. You have called us to yourself. You have given us such joy that we may also share that joy along with you um, to our neighbors and to the nations, to the very ends of the earth. And we so look forward to this day when we will find ourselves in a multitude too great to count. And we will be singing together. We will be feasting together at your table, at the wedding feast, Lord, where we see fully your face shining on us. We praise you, Lord, and ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.